Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be on how to find embryos for embryo donation. This is a fascinating topic for me, and, and I think will be for, it will be for you as well. Here's just an idea of what you're going to hear on today's show. Well, I think when you're donating anonymously through a clinic, it truly is anonymous. The recipient family is never going to know anything about the donor family, and neither is the donor family ever going to know anything about the recipient family. The record-keeping of clinics is medical record-keeping, and generally that's a seven-year period. So if you're going to give birth to a child through an embryo donation, um, by the child, by the time that child reaches their majority, there isn't going to be any record to be able to find any information about the donor family. I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Infertility and Adoption Education and Support Organization, and you can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We're a weekly radio show, and we use the podcast model, and that way you can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can also subscribe to this podcast to get notice of each new episode on your listening device or whatever device you're currently using, be that your phone, your tablet, or your computer. Um, to subscribe, you can just, whatever it is what you're using to listen to it, there's a subscribe button. Or go to our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio show, and click on the iTunes button, and you can subscribe, or just even the, the Stitcher option, and you can subscribe there as well. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. If you are struggling with infertility, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. In fact, most people do. For comprehensive resources, including infertility information, treatment options, and ways to save money, you can go to the faringfertility.com website. They have a lot of general information, educational information on infertility as well. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to pre- and post-adoptive families and the patient community. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. They provide international, domestic, foster, and, of course, their embryo donation program, and through which is known as their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. We also have the Independent Adoption Centers, whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, and actually a few more now. And we have Children's Connection. 
They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have other great sponsors. Those I just mentioned are a few of our gold sponsors, and we'll uh, talk to you about some more later in the show. Um, But we also have other sponsors, and again, it is through their generosity that allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption or infertility service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, number of years in operation, just a whole host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how to find embryos for embryo donation. Embryo donation, which is also sometimes goes by the title embryo adoption, it can truly be confusing. Uh, and we have received so many questions on this, so I am I'm truly looking forward to this show. Uh, our guest today is Kimberly Tyson. She is the Marketing and Program Director for the Embryo Adoption Awareness Center. She is also the Program Director for Nightlight Christian Adoptions, but today she's going to be wearing her Embryo Adoption Awareness Center hat. Welcome, Kimberly Tyson, to Creating a Family. Dawn, it is so nice to be with you today. You know, we have, we have uh, of all the, we send out every um, November, we do a survey of our audience um, for topics that they would like for uh, us to cover. And this topic, uh, we, we got two that kind of were tied for first place, but this was uh, the, uh, one of the two most requested topics, or something along the, the idea of embryo. Um, they weren't always saying how to find embryos, but they were all right around that. And if you dug very deep, you could see that this is uh, that's really what they were asking. There, There is a lot of confusion out there, um, and so I'm, I'm truly excited about this show. This is also a, a topic that I, I find really interesting. And a number of years ago, I interviewed a whole lot of families who had frozen embryos and were making the decision of what to do with them. They, most of them were at the point where they had felt like their family building was over. So I just find it, I, I just find it fascinating, the, um, uh, the thought processes that go into both the donating and receiving couples. I mean, yeah, donating and receiving couples. But I want to start with a real general question, because I think that a lot of people don't even really understand what steps are involved. It, they think, oh, I, I might be interested in this option for family building. But they don't even have a clue what steps are involved in this. How does this differ from any other form of fertility treatment or from some other form of adoption? So can you help us out on just kind of that very basic question to start with? Sure. When a family finds themselves in a position where they have remaining embryos in frozen storage, they have to come to a decision about what to do with it. And uh, there are multiple decisions that are available to them. One is to continue to store. Another is to thaw them and uh, discard them. Another is to donate them to science. And, of course, the last is to donate them for reproduction. And in order to do that, they have to determine, okay, well, how do I want to donate my embryos? Through what kind of organization? And um, 
Basically, there are two ways to donate embryos for reproduction. Um, most people think about, first of all, donating through the clinic who helped them create the embryos in the first place. It's likely the place where the embryos are currently being stored. And if that clinic has an internal donation program, um, they're going to be happy to receive those embryos. Um, some clinics have some pretty specific requirements for being able to donate your embryos to their program. So that's something to investigate. Another way to donate your embryos is through another organization out there that allows for directed donation of the embryos where the donor actually gets to choose the family who receives their embryos. The donation process usually involves um, providing medical information about your family, usually up to three generations of medical history. This the, is the donating family you're talking about. The donating family, yes. Okay. And um, because originally they created their embryos for autologous use, meaning for their own use, they usually have to go through some uh, blood work testing that the FDA requires in order to donate their embryos. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense, yeah. You know, and I'm glad you point. although the 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 focus of this show, because it was the focus of where we got most of our questions, is on how receiving couples, the ones who want to receive the embryos uh, for implantation um, or transfer. I can't believe I made that mistake. <laughs> for transfer, I know well that it's not implantation. In fact, that's a pet peeve of mine. Oh, gracious. Um, so although the focus of the show is going to be on the receiving couples, the information and much of the decision-making, things you have to think through, is equally relevant to the donating couples. So I'm really glad you pointed that out. Um, and, and the show will clearly be listened to by both. So what are some of the – I want to talk uh, – we're going to we're going to go into the – you've mentioned three – well, you mentioned kind of two, but of the second one, there's there's three kind of general options you have for finding embryos or for donating embryos. But before we we talk about those specifically, I'd like to talk about some of the things, some of the ways the various programs differ, and some of and which means these are the things that, as the donating couple or the receiving couple, you need to think about to decide which type of program is the best one for you. The first one that I want to talk about is anonymous donation versus some form of identified donation. How? How uh, how great is the diversity out there? I mean, anonymous, does that mean completely anonymous, never in any way have any contact, regardless of the reason or regardless of who's asking? Or are there varying shades of gray along this line? Or how does that work? Well, I think when you're donating anonymously through a clinic, it truly is anonymous. The recipient family is never going to know anything about the donor family, and neither is the donor family ever going to know anything about the recipient family. The record keeping of clinics is medical record keeping, and generally that's a seven-year period. So if you're going to give birth to a child through an embryo donation, um, by the child, by the time that child reaches their majority, there isn't going to be any record to be able to find any information about the donor family. Um, Unless some clinics have a different, uh, they will, they have a different uh, record-keeping criteria um, for embryo uh, donation. Uh, so yes, that's something that you would need to check mm-hmm. about. Right. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Let's don't talk specific as to clinics or adoption agency programs or to direct uh, donor. Let's just talk at this point just generally what we mean by 
anonymous donation versus identified donation. Okay. Well, anonymous donation is is you don't know anything about the recipient and they don't know anything about you as the donor except this medical history that is required and uh, the blood work testing that is required by the FDA. Um, in an identified or directed donation, the level of knownness between the two families is really dictated by the families themselves, um, not generally by the organization. Oh, okay. So that. Now, what about, uh, we often hear people say that they uh, don't want contact, uh, don't want identifying information, but do want the ability of their child, uh, well, both ways. They want medical information to flow both ways. Um, If their child needed something, uh, they would want, um, if their child develops a disease of some sort that they think the other family needs to know, they want to be able to share, and vice versa, if the other family's children develop some form of genetic condition or something that they think that the, they want the, the recipient family to know, that they can know. Is that a possibility where you can just share medical information if you have a anonymous donation? I would suspe- I would suspect that that is possible. You would be having to donate through an organization, though, was going to have, uh, which was going to have uh, pretty detailed record keeping, and the ability to uh, facilitate communication between the two parties. Because I'm assuming that the two parties don't want to communicate directed uh, in a directed fashion with one another. So you'd have to have an organization that was willing to facilitate that communication, and an organization that you believe is going to be around long enough to facilitate it. Uh, yeah. Because we don't, it, it, it's unclear what will happen to the records after the required uh, record-keeping time. Uh, so that would be something to consider as well. Okay, another thing that families sometimes have to, th- or may want to think about, is um, the recipient couple, uh, usually they will be transferring depending on the quality of the embryo. They'll be transferring no more than two, maybe three, again, depending on quality. Um, But they may want, uh, especially if they conceive from that batch of embryos, might want to go back for a full sibling uh, for their child. Uh, How does the ability, does that differ amongst the the various programs we're going to talk about in a minute uh, as far as the ability to get a subsequent match or do uh, matching a full sibling? Well, it is the number of agencies or organizations that allow for you to receive all of the embryos that the donor has to provide is very few. So normally, if you want to have a full genetic sibling to a child that you've given birth to already, you're going to have to look pretty carefully at the organization that you're receiving your embryos from uh, because most uh, organizations are not going to allow you to have all of the embryos the donor has to give. Okay. Uh, geographic dispersion is something that we also hear more from the donating couple usually. Um, I think I can, it would be fair to say that of the options we're, we're looking at, adoption, uh, I mean clinics, adoption agency, embryo donation programs, and and uh, direct uh, individual direct match between couples. Um, usually, usually clinics uh, distribute rather close, uh, rather close geographic area, and some adoption agencies do as well. But then some have a more national dispersion, as and the direct donation can be national or or 
or are very close geographically. Um, what about another big issue that's, that differs, it seems to me, between the three options is um, the evaluation that takes place amongst the recipient couples. I don't, we're going to talk specifically in a minute about that, but just generally what do we mean by evaluation between the recipient couples? What, what does that, some people call it a home study, some people don't. What does that mean? Well, when the recipient family is being evaluated, really what is being followed is an adoption model. And the idea behind it is to give some peace of mind to the donor family that the recipient family has undergone some sort of vetting to make sure that they are a family that the donor family can feel comfortable placing their embryo donation with. But that's definitely follows along the lines of whatever organization the donor family or recipient family is looking to work with. If they're working with a medical facility, they're usually not requiring that kind of background check or a family evaluation of the recipient family. It's purely a medical procedure. So the options are available to those who are donating and those who are receiving embryos to look at what do those programs provide to us and which one is the best one for our family. Okay, and then the last thing that we're going to be comparing the the options on is cost and and how they charge. We'll talk about that in a minute. As you pointed out, one of the first places I think most people think of uh, either to donate or to uh, receive or to look for embryos if they're actively in treatment or have been recently is their fertility clinic. Um, and, in fact, many clinics do have embryo donation programs. Do you have any idea uh, about what percentage of clinics now have uh, embryo uh, donation programs? Well, there are about 450-ish clinics in the country, organizations, entities. Um, some of them have multiple locations. Uh, but of those 450, there are about 200 that have some type of embryo donation program. Okay, so about half then. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so what are some of the typical, and I realize it probably differs some, but if you can make generalities, what are some of the typical features uh, of a clinic embryo donation program, um, uh, comparing of the factors that we just kind of talked about? What are, how do they usually look on those factors? Well, a clinic program is not going to be requiring the family evaluation of the recipient family. The clinic program is usually only open to current patients of that clinic. There are very, very few clinic embryo donation programs that are open to non-patient participation, um, which means that you can't go and become a patient um, without having gone through IVF at that clinic in order to participate in their embryo donation program. Um, Clinics are usually looking at it as a frozen embryo transfer, which is a medical procedure, so they're looking at it purely as a medical procedure rather than a socially or emotionally uh, wrapped up procedure like some other organizations are going to be looking at. Clinics usually have pretty long waiting lists for people who are interested in receiving embryos and not enough embryos to meet the requirements of the waiting list. This is one of the reasons why when you receive embryos from a clinic program, 
uh, you're only going to receive one or two embryos uh, from those available in the donor pool because they're trying to meet the needs of the number of people on their waiting list. So, and and usually the embryos that you get when you get one or two are from the same donating family. Yes, I would say that if you're going to receive one or two embryos from a clinic program, they're going to be genetically related embryos. They're going to be fully genetically related embryos. But, uh, for instance, if a donor has donated six embryos to a clinic program and uh, the clinic is probably going to give those six embryos to potentially up to three uh, waiting families um, because they would give two embryos to each family. But none of those families would know about each other. So, again, your idea about the geographic location of recipient families comes into play here because maybe all three of those families end up giving birth to a child, but nobody knows about each other. Um, And anonymous uh, clinics, uh, anonymous are uh, identified or directed uh, donation. Most clinics are anonymous donation. Very rare is the clinic that provides a directed or identified um, donation. Or the ability to uh, have that, uh, even if you, even if both parties want it, unless they happen to know each other. Right. Yeah. Okay. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about where to find embryos for embryo donation. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and they would be even better if you joined us. There are three different ways you can connect with us on Facebook. One way is our, obviously, uh, Creating a Family Facebook page. Uh, you can That's at Creating a Family at Facebook. We also have a very large and very active support group, and that's, it's a closed group on Facebook, uh, so you have to request to join. Um, the easiest way to find either of those is to type the words Creating a Family into the Facebook search box. Both the group and the page will pop up. You can like the page and join the group. You can also connect with me personally, and I am Davenport one We are also very active on Pinterest and Twitter, and we go by Creating a Family. Um, Both of those are great places to connect with us, to talk, to discuss things. Well, Twitter you don't discuss a lot considering the uh, lack of uh, the only 140 characters, but uh, we share information, and and, uh, and on Pinterest we have close to 30 boards, I believe, now. Uh, It's a great place to, uh, to hang out as well, and we would love to have you join us. All right, now we've talked about kind of the, the general layout for clinic programs. Another option um, is for uh, adoption agencies. Uh, some adoption agencies now have an embryo donation, or they may call it an embryo adoption program. Do you have a feel for about how many uh, private adoption agencies have programs, embryo donation programs? Well, there are about eight organizations that have an adoption model that they apply to their um, program. They may be a clinic or they may be an adoption agency. They may just be an organization, but they apply the adoption model to their process. So not all of them are adoption agencies per se. Some may be, uh, as you point out, clinics, and some may be um, other entities that, but they that the the distinction you're making or that I hear you make, is that they're applying the adoption model. 
Right. And what do you mean by applying the adoption model? Well, um, adoption agencies, obviously, for quite some time, many of the agencies have been following an adoption model to the placement of children into families. And the adoption model simply means that the family who is receiving the embryos is going to go through the same uh, home study process that a family who is adopting an already born children, child, whether that is a domestic infant adoption or a foster adoption or an international adoption, the um, family with whom the child is going to be placed is going to go through what we is known as a home study. Um, there are going to be other things associated with adoption that are going to be applied to the process because those organizations see that the embryo recipient, the hope for end result is going to be the birth of a child, and so therefore they believe that the best practices of adoption should be applied to the process. Okay. And as far as whether if, a, if both the recipient and the donating couple want to remain anonymous, uh, is that an option? Yes, I believe that with some of those organizations, anonymous placement is an option, but because they're following the best practices of adoption, one of the best practices is, and also legal requirements in the United States, is permanent record keeping. And so adoption agencies who are following best practices will keep permanent records of any matches that are made, whether the match is anonymous or known. Is that the law in all states? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, But... uh, Best practice, clearly. Okay. All right. So uh, what about the issue of uh, so you've, uh, how much information? You've talked about there's a home study, a family, the recipient family evaluation. How much of that information is shared with the donating family? And is it possible for donating families to actually select the recipient families? Well, the home study is never shared with the donor family, but what the adoption model uh, people are following is the donor family is usually creating a family profile, the adopting family is creating a family profile, preferences are being specified by both the donor and the adopting family, and this information is being used by the organization to help match the families um, so that their preferences are being matched between the two families. Um, Some of the models have the recipient uh, driving the bus, so to speak. Other models have the donor family choosing the adopting family first. I don't know of any programs that are dictating matches. The matches are mutually agreed upon between the two parties. All right. And um, and then what about how often is it? Is it very common, let me ask it that way, for there to be shared identifying information which would allow contact between the two families and the using for those agencies utilizing the adoption model. Oh, absolutely. And I again I believe that the level of communication between those two families is mutually agreed upon by the families. 
Some of those families will choose to communicate through the agency. Um, others will choose to have direct communication with one another. Some of them actually vacation together. So the level of involvement between the two families is really mutually agreed upon by those families. Going to the, the issue of, of geographic dispersion, how do uh, the uh, agencies that are utilizing the adoption model, how do they get embryos? From where do they get embryos? And how do they place embryos? How, how diverse is their, um, is their outreach? Well, most of the organizations that I know that are following uh, somewhat of an adoption model are getting in embryos nationally or even internationally. Some of those organizations will receive and store the embryos. I doubt that any of them take ownership of the embryos. The embryos probably continue to be owned by the donor until they are matched with the recipient family. Uh, in fertility clinics, usually the clinic is taking ownership of the donated embryos. Um, oh, really? Wait a minute. That's a, that's a distinction that I wasn't aware of. The clinics take ownership of the embryos, whereas most clinic programs, no, I'm not sorry, clinic, most uh, agency programs don't take ownership. That's, I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, there might be one or two uh, clinic-oriented programs that receive the embryos and allow people to do a directed match or some level of openness matching that maybe they also take ownership of the embryos, but generally speaking, when it's an adoption model, the organization is not taking ownership of the embryos. They um, keep the ownership in the hands of the donor until they are matched with the adopting family. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, that may seem like a small distinction, and maybe it is, but that seems that's something I just didn't realize about. Okay, okay, so now we're going back to the geographic dispersion. Would uh, so most most agency models um, following the adoption model? I guess that would be the way to say it. Um, have both a national outreach for receiving, as well as a national outreach for finding recipient couples. Right. Uh, the programs that I know about get uh, people who are donating their embryos from all over the country, and some of them receive embryos. Um, internationally from people internationally who would like to place their embryos with family. Um, so, yeah, they're getting their embryos from all over the world, and the recipients actually are coming to them from all over the world as well. All right. Now, what is the typical cost for um, agencies that are utilizing the adoption model? Well, I like to give a cost spread for that because each agency has a different uh, cost schedule that they provide. And I think to try it's and much do, better to give a range, I agree. Yeah, you know, because really what's involved are the services that are being provided by the organization as well as the medical services that are going to be required as well as any um, social services that may be required. So the spread generally, I say, is like 15 uh, Twelve to $15,000. And, you know, uh, what about, okay, you've got these embryos are frozen. Let's say they are frozen and existing in Virginia, and the couple that is wanting to receive them is located in Kansas. 
how do you get the embryos from Virginia to Kansas, and who do you select to, or how how hard is it to find a reproductive endocrinologist that will thaw and uh, transfer? That is a very good question. To get the embryos from Virginia to Kansas, we use FedEx most of the time, and it, it's in a, a dry shipper, which keeps the embryos frozen. Obviously, if the embryos don't stay frozen, they perish. So um, the embryos are shipped from one clinic to the next. Before any embryos are shipped, the receiving clinic is getting information about those embryos, how the embryos were frozen, what is the quality of the embryos, and the clinic is making the decision ahead of time whether or not they're going to receive the embryos into their clinic for the frozen embryo transfer. Right. I hear from people in our community that it's not uncommon to have an infertility clinic say that they will not accept for transfer embryos that have not been created in their own program. Um, Do you hear that as well? That is absolutely true. There are clinics who will not receive embryos that were created elsewhere into their clinic, and that's because clinics are depending on a lot of the statistical information they have been gathering to market their infertility treatments, so they don't want to bring any um, embryos into the clinic that might have a negative impact on their statistical information. So if you are considering embryo donation, to receive and donate an embryo, one of the things you need to do is find a clinic that's willing to do the embryo transfer. Is that correct? That's right. And some of the programs that will allow and follow the embryo adoption model will are also clinics. And so, you know, if you use that um, organization, they have a clinic and you would travel to that clinic. If you're working with an organization that is not a clinic and the clinic that you're interested in using that's in your area where you live is saying, no, we won't receive embryos um, from another clinic, you have a couple options available to you. The organization may have a recommendation for another clinic that you can use that's geographically near to you or the option is always available to travel to where the embryos were created to have the frozen embryo transfer done there. Okay, yes. So you, again, there was a cost associated with that, but those would be your options. And then you would find a, hopefully, well, then you have the issue of follow-up care um, and finding someone who is willing to do that. But sometimes... Well, that would be your OBGYN. Right. You would just be able to go to your regular OBGYN at that point. I realize now that we did not distinguish the cost associated with uh, clinics that have embryo donation programs. Can you give us a range of costs right. for that option? Well, I would say in general the cost for simply uh, receiving donated embryos at a clinic is probably five to six thousand. Well, and that's and what if the embryos were already created there, and you're using you're going to your clinic, and uh, we're going back to the first one, we, first option we talked about, which was using your fertility clinic's embryo donation uh, program. Um, some clinics just charge a flat the fee that they would charge for a frozen embryo transfer. Right, um, and uh, and that ranges from about thirty five hundred to upwards of six and 7000 depending on what clinic you're using. So right. if the clinic is simply going to charge you for the frozen embryo transfer, 
then it'll be whatever they normally charge for the FET. If they're going to charge some additional administrative fees for the management of the donated embryo program, then there might be some additional costs associated with that. Okay, perfect. All right, excellent. You are listening to Creating a Family. Our mission is to provide, at Creating a Family, is to provide unbiased and medically accurate information and support for those touched by infertility or adoption. We have a lot of resources on embryo donation. You can find them at our website, creatingafamily.org. You can go to either the adoption uh, landing page or the infertility landing page, either one, and you can uh, go to the A to Z resources and click on embryo donation. Uh, And you will see all of our uh, many, many resources that we have that can help demystify some of this process. All right, we've talked about uh, using an infertility clinic. Uh, to find embryos if this is an option, embryo donation is an option you're considering, or to donate your frozen embryos, um, either one. So we've talked about using your clinic. We've talked about going through adoption agencies or entities that are following the adoption model. So that's a second option you have. You know, uh, an option that we don't often talk about, but it certainly exists, and that is it is possible to have self-directed matches, either by somebody you know or there are places online um, that uh, people get together and, uh, and, share, and share both the people who have don- embryos they want to donate and those who want to receive get on. It's kind of a DIY, uh, do-it-yourself, um, DIY approach. Um, what do you, uh, uh, and DIY approaches when it comes to family building make me nervous, but what do uh, what do you know about those programs and how, uh, how how common are they, first of all? Well, certainly people have had success doing self-directed matching for um, donating and receiving embryos. Uh, there are a couple of websites out there. The biggest, I believe, is called Miracles Waiting. Um, and in that model, it's kind of like eHarmony or Match.com, where um, the recipient families are paying to access the service. The donor families are not, and they find each other that way. There are families where we're friends. I knew of a flight attendant who was talking to a passenger, and they made a match with one another. So, I mean, people do it in a lot of different ways. The thing about do-it-yourself matching is that just like with all do-it-yourself projects, you have to know the ins and outs of that to be successful, and that includes, um, you know, hey, how am I going to get the embryos from here to there? Will my doctor accept those embryos? How do I find a clinic that's going to be involved with this self-directed match? What are the legal um, ramifications of that? How are we going to manage the um, communication between the families? Will we be known to one another or not? You know, all of those kinds of things have to be self-directed. And let me just say at this point that if this is an option that you are considering, you really must hire an attorney to help you navigate some of the legalities. Uh, And that attorney needs to be one who specializes in reproductive law. We do have resources for how to find such an attorney on our website, again, under either the adoption. Uh, well, actually, in this case, this would be third-party reproduction. So you would need to go to our infertility page and our infertility law page under the A to Z resources um, and uh, to make certain that you're complying with the law and also that, you, that both parties' interests are being 
are being uh, taken care of. Another well, option. and John, I also know yeah. that some of the adoption organizations out there that manage embryo donation and adoption are willing to help families who self-match, who are like, okay, we self-match, but that's as far as we want to go. We need some help with the other. And so some of those organizations will help with that as well. Well, that's a good point. It cannot. It doesn't have to be a total DYI. It just maybe you, maybe it is your third cousin, twice removed, who uh, has uh, embryos and uh, is donating, um, or the friend of your cousin, third, th- three times removed. Uh, so you would know about him, but you don't particularly want to uh, do all the legalities. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got clinics, we've got adoption agencies or other entities following the adoption model. We have self-directed matches. And the last one is kind of a, it doesn't have an easy uh, name to associate with it, but I think of it as specialized embryo donation medical clinics, which they they do the transfer there. They're really a medical clinic, but they, they specialize in embryo donation. Um, and I don't think that, do you know, of how many are there, uh, or do you know? I know of one. Yeah, so they're not. Well, maybe two. Well, you know, because when I think of the National Embryo Donation Center, I don't really think of them as much as a clinic as a clinic that follows an adoption model because they definitely do. Okay, that's interesting because I would have put them in this category. That's the National Mm -hmm. Embryo um, Donation Center. I would have put them in this category, but I can see your point um, Mm -hmm. as to why you would put them there. Okay, so either way. Well, because the NEDC does require their recipient families to have a home study. Um, The other program that I'm aware of, yeah, yeah. does not. And some of the others might if they, uh, they tend to have um, a lot of, of, uh, a lot of different options that that would be on the table. Right. So we, and they would have, uh, so you can do, is it possible to do anonymous through uh, NEDC in National Embryo Donation Center? Okay. So, as and the other one that uh, um, we might as well say is uh, Donor Embryos sure. International, and they, so they they would have you have to go to both of their websites, but they have the options for anonymous or identified, uh, and I believe both require that you actually travel there for the frozen embryo transfer. Is that your understanding as well? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Okay. So that's. Is, a, is an additional um, cost add. Uh, all right. Now for these specialized ones. Well, let me let me back up again. I left off the self-directed matches. Um, how? What would the cost associated with a self-directed match be? And then the next question will be: What are the costs associated with these specialized centers? What would that be? But let's talk about um, the self-directed first. Cost. Wow. Well, in the self-directed match, you would have your frozen embryo transfer costs. You would have any shipping costs and the coordination of shipping. You would have the legal costs. You know, you could probably do a self-directed match for less than 10, I would say. Okay. And for these specialized uh, embryo donation medical clinic. Well, you know, for the NEDC, you know, it's right in line with the adoption model, which is 12 to 15,000. For the um, Embryo Donation International, you know, they have anonymous, they have approved, and they have open are their three categories. And um, that pricing ranges from about 10,000 to 16,000. Okay. 
and uh, you can get the specifics on that from both of their websites. All right. Mm-hmm. I have a, just a general question. What percentage of the donated embryos come from uh, IVF cycles that used uh, either donor egg and or donor sperm? Well, I can talk from my program in particular that about half of the donated embryos were created using donor egg, donor sperm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I haven't seen any uh, national statistics on that, but I, from just so this is anecdotal, but I would, from what I hear, it's even a high, that I would I would have guessed even higher just from what I hear, which you know is not really worth much, but that's interesting. Um. And is it possible, because we received a question on this from a couple who is thinking about uh, donating, is it possible for them to become, to get reimbursed for the cost, even some of the cost, of creating the embryos? None of the programs that I'm familiar with reimburse for the cost of creating the embryos because the reality is is the family was creating the embryos for their own purposes. They weren't creating the embryos with the idea that they were going to donate them later, even if they were thinking ahead of time about, oh, what will we do with remaining embryos? The fact is is they're creating embryos for their own intents and purposes. So we've talked about the cost for the recipient couples utilizing the the different models that we talked about, um, the different type of programs we talked about. What about the cost for the donating couples? Well, to my knowledge, there is no cost to the donating couples, and neither are they. Uh, is there any remuneration for the donating couples? Because in the United States, we don't buy and sell embryos um, for the most part. That's uh, not considered uh, ethically... Correct. So they they don't get reimbursed, but they also there is no charge for them. Although they may be yeah, they don't, charged they for do the storage. They do not get fees. reimbursed. Yeah, they well they may get some reimbursement for storage fees, but I don't hear that happening very often either. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I don't either, but I have heard, and I'm not sure because I, I thought that they I, I had been under the impression that you couldn't get reimbursed for storage fees. But I believe that that, that I might be wrong because I hear that is that might be possible. I don't know. What 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 do you hear on that? Well, I'm sure at a fertility clinic you're not going to re- get reimbursed for storage fees unless that's something that's negotiated or it's part of the clinic program. Um, in agency programs, generally the donor is not reimbursed for storage fees unless it's something that's negotiated by contract. Usually, because remember earlier I said that the donor re- retains ownership of the embryos until they're matched with a family, so the owner is responsible for the storage fees of the embryos. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's why I I was so interested when you said that the clinics took ownership because it would seem to me that then they would have the responsibility for uh, storage and making the decisions on on, uh, what to do with the embryos if they weren't able to find the family. Well, they are storing them already. And as you know, the ASRM has some guidelines about abandoned embryos and what can be done with abandoned embryos by clinics. And basically, the only option available to them is to thaw and discard the embryos. So they have options that are available to them. Okay. So they, but that may be if from a donating couple, if um, would they have to um, 
from your what you know, for couples who donate to programs that take ownership, they would probably at that point not be paying for the storage fees, I would assume. The donor couple, no. Yeah, okay. That's just interesting. All right, well, that's a that's really, a, you know, um, the the whole idea of, the, of taking the whole idea of ownership is an interesting and, and at what point does it transfer? But let me stop for just a moment and take a, to thank a few more of our gold sponsors, and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we could bring you this show as well as all the resources at Creating a Family. We have Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey. They are a recognized scientific and patient care leader in the field of infertility with seven offices throughout New Jersey. We also have excuse me. We also have uh, Spence Chapin Adoptions. They are a full-service adoption agency bringing over 100 years of experience to a new direction, creating permanent, loving families for children most in need older kids, sibling groups, as well as children with special needs. And they have eliminated the financial barrier by providing a no-fee adoption services for families who can consider opening up their lives and their hearts to this very special population. Well, no discussion of of, uh, embryo donation would be complete without some uh, attention being uh, given to the legalities. What entity, I mean, what entity in the United States creates the laws associated with how you how you transfer um, uh, embryos? Well, I don't think there's a particular entity because it is governed by property law, which is the law of the land regarding the exchange of property. And so embryos are considered property and not people in the United States, and therefore it is governed by property law, not adoption law. And so the contracts between the two parties are contracts regarding the exchange of property. And that that would differ. It, does it matter, uh, or do the states vary uh, significantly between each other uh, as to what is required for the con- for a property contract to transfer a property contract? Not to my knowledge, no. Okay, then what about the legalities as far as shipping or receiving? Um, you were saying something at the beginning about blood tests being required. So let's let's talk about that. Uh, and then we'll talk about shipping. Um, what type of legalities and, and uh, require who requires that there be blood tests and information, medical history on the donating couple? Well, the Food and Drug Administration came up with some rules and regulations back in oh, I say May of two thousand five, maybe. Um, sorry, yeah, I think it was May of two thousand five. Um, um, confusing it with some other law that came about in Georgia. But um, at that time, the Food and Drug Administration came up some rules and regulations about this was specific to the donation of human tissues. And um, so obviously eggs and sperm and embryos are human tissues, and so they are governed by this particular subsection of that um, part of the FDA rule and regulation. It's called Part 1271, and it talks about um, who and how and what needs to be done in order to donate human tissue, in this instance, human embryos, from one party to the next. 
Okay, so those regulations have to be abided by. Are there any specific regulations for the shipment of, in this case, we call it human tissue, I guess? Does the FDA control that as well? Not to my knowledge, no. So are there any requirements uh, associated with the uh, shipment of uh, embryos? I don't know of any laws regarding the shipment of human embryos, but they do have to remain frozen. <laughs> well, and I would assume that, yeah, yes, that, that seems obvious, but that's a good point. Well, and, but, but I think that, although we laugh, the reality is there's frozen and then there's frozen. The, you know, cryopreservation um, is at an extremely cold temperature. Uh, so uh, I, uh, I would assume that, that you've got to be extraordinarily careful that there's not any fluctuation in the freezing because I would think you would, would lose quality at that point. Well, would... the cryo tanks that are used for shipping, the, they're called dry shippers, are designed in such a way to keep frozen materials frozen at the temperature they need to be frozen. I mean, remember, the the process of frozen embryo transfer wasn't uh, initially a human process. It's been used in a- animal husbandry for years and years and years. And so people ship, uh, you know, uh, bovine embryos and bovine sperm and bovine eggs uh, as just one animal group where, you know, artificial insemination and third-party reproduction is used all the time. I know people often don't realize that, that we truly are uh, learning, uh, following the um, the advances that have been made in veterinary medicine uh, in this area as far as not so much, I'm not sure about the embryos, but certainly um, donor sperm. Um, and what is the medical process for the intended mom? Uh, how how involved is it if for a woman to get prepped for uh, a transfer of a uh, of a frozen embryo created by another family? Well, I am not an expert in that particular part of this, Dawn, but what I can tell you is that a woman um, and her reproductive endocrinologist can choose to either have a um, medically prepared cycle to receive the frozen embryo transfer, or we have women who actually go through a natural cycle and receive the embryos when her natural cycle would make it the best time to transfer the embryos into her womb. If you're going to do a medicated cycle, there is a whole bunch of different drugs and hormones that the woman is taking into her body in order to um, prepare her uterus to receive those embryos. And, um, you know, I've even heard of physicians, uh, reproductive endocrinologists now, that prefer to use frozen embryos rather than a fresh embryo cycle so they can time it even better with the best transfer day for the woman's uterus. Yeah, we actually talked about that on a recent show. There's been some interesting research on uh, that would, uh, some interesting research that has shown that the success rate, live birth rate from frozen embryo transfers is higher than fresh with the expectation that the reason for that is because of the implantation window. Uh, And it's particularly an issue as we push the blastocyst through genetic testing or whatever over into uh, from day five to day six that there may be uh, that there's a risk of missing the implantation window. So, yeah, that's some really interesting research that's uh, that's going on. So you're right. I, I believe you're exactly right. It would be similar, the medical prep for the woman to receive an embryo 
regardless of whether it is an embryo that uh, has been using her egg or a donor egg in her husband's sperm or a donor sperm or a donated embryo is basically the same as a frozen embryo transfer, which is, as you point out, preparing the the, um, the uterine lining uh, so that it's mainly a timing issue. Uh, right. if, and you're right, it can be done unmedicated as well. We received a question from Faith. It's long, so I'm going to summarize. Um, she, or I think it was her husband, has a DUI in his past and has uh, various misdemeanors. He has turned his life around. He has been an exemplary uh, citizen for a while. Um, and uh, none of the problems in the past involved violence. Uh, she is wondering... Uh, which of the options uh, would be for finding embryos would be their best bet, uh, given his um, his pa- given some of the problems in his past? Wow, that's an interesting question, Don. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I would yep. say that we you go. know they they are not precluded from going through an embryo adoption process. You know, the home study would reveal the turnaround in the person's life. It really would depend on what is the preference of the family, and that's the beauty of all these options that we've been talking about today. It's the beauty of America, isn't it, that we are a land of choice. And all of these options that are available to people to examine and to say, wow, this sounds like the thing that would be best for my family. This is the model that I would like to follow that is available to them. Um, I will say that clinic programs, unless you're already a patient of that clinic, it's pretty unlikely to be able to receive embryos from that program. Most clinics have waiting lists that are pretty long for donated embryos. Um, But I will say that most of the embryo adoption programs have the opposite program. They have more embryos waiting than they have families ready to receive them. So um, there's a lot of things to take into consideration when you're choosing a program, but I wouldn't say that the DUIs would preclude using an adoption model. Or, or preclude a, a clinic model for that, and she did not indicate right. uh, whether or not she was currently in treatment or she didn't indicate that. What do you see from, um, have you seen an increased interest from families to donate uh, their uh, embryos at the end of their family building when they have leftover embryos? Well, yes, I have seen an increase in the number of people donating their embryos. I think it's because more people are becoming aware that that's an option that's available to them. Um, I don't know that clinics have done a really outstanding job uh, educating their their patients about the disposition options that are available to them. I think a lot of families have thought, wow, the only way I can donate my embryos is anonymously and that is unappealing to them and so they kind of keep their embryos frozen hoping that something else is going to become available to them. So I think that the education that has been uh, done by the Embryo Adoption Awareness Center about the um, ability to donate for reproduction and to choose the family to whom you're going to donate your embryos has been very appealing to people. And so we've seen an increase in the number of people donating for reproduction. But I think generally speaking, it's more known that you can do that and people are making that choice. 
There are yeah, over 600,000 embryos in frozen storage in the U.S., so that makes a lot of opportunity for donation. Yeah, not all of which were are stored, not all of which were um, frozen at a time where uh, we have great uh, thaw rates, and not all of them are high quality, but you're right, there are very, very many embryos in storage. We certainly have seen an increased interest in we see the increased interest in people talking about what they're going to do with their embryos, um, but we've also seen a, a I would almost I would say it's a significant increase in the chatter we hear, the discussions that are going on about families wanting to receive embryos. I think that the word is absolutely beginning to to get out. Uh, for, uh, for I hope with both sides, but certainly for the recipient families, um, without a question, we see an increased interest. Is that uh, you know in that as well? I would imagine you see that too. Yes, in fact, um, last year in our particular program, we saw double the number of people participating in the program. That's pretty significant. Yeah, and that would that would track really similar to what we would see as well. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I, I haven't really talked to anybody. Um, and I think it's just, you know, at some point it's, it becomes part of the zeitgeist where it just people know about it, and, and it's no longer an unusual option. It's considered an option, you know, which I think that's a, that's a big step. Well, we have come to the end of our time. Kimberly, thank you so much, Kimberly Tyson, with the Embryo Adoption Awareness Center. I, I truly appreciate your uh, being on the show. Uh, for any For our audience, if you have enjoyed this show and would like to help us grow, please go to iTunes and give us a rating. Um, iTunes, we are their uh, top choice in the areas of adoption and infertility, and we'd like to keep our position there. So if you could go there and give us a rating, it would be very helpful. If you would like to participate in a discussion of the topics of this show, you can check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. We will be discussing this show then. And I know that you're going to want some more information about the uh, Embryo Adoption Awareness Center. To get to their website, you would go to embryoadoption.org. It's an easy one. I like URLs that are easy for people because a lot of people will be listening to this uh, show while they're out and about. So it's always nice when there is a URL that's an easy one. So embryoadoption.org, and you can either just send them a, an email or just they've got lots and lots of information on their site, and you can go there and uh, you can. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.